Well, we're in the last week of a a kind of mini-series which has been broken up in the book of Acts um, since Pentecost, thinking about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the early church and what the church is doing in the power of the Holy Spirit and what might that mean for us today as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Luke tells us in Acts chapters 2 that those gathered were filled with the Holy Spirit. So important was this gift of the Holy Spirit that we're reminded in chapter 1 that Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Their commission, of course, was to go and to make disciples, but in this instance, they're told to wait. So important is this gift of the Holy Spirit. We would do well to remind ourselves of the fact that the Holy Spirit did exist before Pentecost. We see examples of the Holy Spirit present and active all throughout the Old Testament. And we see the Holy Spirit manifested through the life of Jesus. And in fact, the Spirit's not just mentioned once at Pentecost, but repeatedly throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is the driving force of God's mission to the entire world. Now, there's a number of ways that we might talk about this. And as as Jeff mentioned earlier, that we might speak about being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or here it says they were clothed with power from on high. It talks about the Spirit of God falling on them. But whatever you want to call it, it's clear that we need it. And I wonder if we truthfully have to ask ourselves the question as I've been doing this week in, in my preparation, do we really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us today? Do we really believe that we can still see signs and wonders as the Holy Spirit manifested himself in the early church? Ian reminded us a few weeks ago that as a a church, we're not what we call cessationists. We don't believe that the power of the Holy Spirit and the miracles and the signs and wonders died out with the apostolic age or those that were there at the time of Jesus. But I wonder if we might live like what we might call practical cessationists, that when it comes to our practices, we don't operate in a way that suggests that we really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke in the books of Acts tells the story of how the the gospel, the good news of Jesus was to spread. He says, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit was to carry on the mission that we saw in Jesus on the earth, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles and to all the earth. So we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 3 and it gives us some early insights as to what the Spirit was doing through the lives of the disciples and perhaps how he might want to work through us in the same way. So Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. 
and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen. The first thing that I think that I would like to encourage us is to start where we are. Now, Peter and John are on the way to the temple at the time of prayer. They're still engaged in their Jewish way of life. They would have walked this route every day. On this occasion, Luke describes the man who was lame from birth as being carried to sit at the temp- and beg at the temple grates. He would have been well positioned. The Jews would have had a custom of alms giving an important duty for those seeking to live a godly life and something that Peter and John would also have been accustomed to. I wonder if sometimes our giving turns into a sense of selfish righteousness. Jesus doesn't call us to give a handout to those who are poor and suffering as if it's another tick on our score chart of things that we have to do. It's not something that we do for ourselves. I'm conscious that when we're giving, which is a good and a right thing to do, that there's sometimes a certain level of detachment to it. Now, this is a personal confession, but it's really easy to give to a, to give to a charity in a foreign country or to give to someone that is dealing with people in the front lines without ever having to look into the eyes of those who benefit from the funds. But I wonder how many of us have set up a direct debit, which is only going because six years later we forgot to cancel it. Peter and John did something different from the people around them. It's one thing to give or even to pray for the needs of people around you or even those in our church. But it's a totally different thing to, as it says, they gazed intently into the eyes of someone who needs our help and to really see them in their suffering. One commentator, Marshall, says, what could have been simply the occasion of mechanical charity is turned into a personal encounter as the lame man and the apostles look directly at one another. Peter says to the man, look at us. And so he does. I wonder if this man has already looked away after asking. So little was his expectation of receiving and so used to asking every single day. But at this, the man gave them his full attention. In looking into the eyes of this man, I believe that the apostles completely saw him. And the lame man also saw the ordinariness of Peter and John. What did they see? This lame man, who doesn't even have a name, is completely dependent on those who carried him there from survival. And then he's completely dependent on those whom he's asking him money, giving him something. Every single day, this was all he knew. He had no way of earning his own wage, so he simply had to ask others for money. Phineas Brzee, who's one of the founders of the, of the Church of the Nazarene, said this, The first miracle after the baptism of the Holy Ghost was wrought upon a beggar. It means that the first service of the Holy Ghost baptized church is to the poor, that its ministry is to those who are lowest down, that its gifts are for those who need them the most. As the Spirit was upon Jesus to preach the gospel to the poor, 
so his spirit is upon his servants for the same purpose. I wonder how many people in our day-to-day lives, where we're at, are so often overlooked, but longing for someone to stop long enough, to pay attention to them, to really see them. And how many of us are brave enough to stop and look, maybe to make ourselves uh, allow ourselves to be a little bit uncomfortable, not just to throw money at a situation and to make it feel better. So starting where they were at, Peter and John saw something in a way that was different. But that's not all they saw. In seeing the man's brokenness and helplessness and shame, they also saw what Jesus wanted to do for him. They saw the image of God in this man longing to be set free and to be made whole. This is part of what it means to be a witness. If we want to bear witness to the power of the Holy Spirit and see the miraculous, we first have to see the situation and give voice to it as it is in its full reality. If we've just seen the material needs of this man and we don't see the lifetime of pain and exclusion, then we don't really know how much we need a miracle. In Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, I will give you the keys of kingdom in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on earth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter was witness to this man's situation, but also witness to the Spirit's power that raised Jesus from the dead. What do we see when we go about our daily lives? What can we see with eyes of faith into these situations, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth? The second thing I want to encourage, and Jeff's nearly stealing my sermon earlier, (laughs) is to raise our expectations. I think God wants to say something to us, does he? A few years ago with the church board, I was, we had read through a, a book, um, Mike Frost Surprised the World. And I was really struck by the fact that actually for a lot of people, people, their expectations of Christians are that they are nice people. I often meet people who come to the church and they say, everybody's just so nice here. And then sometimes even us ourselves, we're, we're disappointed when, when, when Christians are maybe not nice. And we expect that that's what it's supposed to have been like. It's not unexpected for us to be nice people. But I wonder if sometimes we have to first disappoint people. Peter first said to the man, silver and gold, I have not. I don't know if he didn't have silver and gold. Maybe he had some at home, but he was not giving it to him in this moment. The man's expectation to receive was based on what he could see he needed which was all he'd ever known. He so longed for a way to ease the pain and the suffering that he faced since birth to meet even his basic needs. That's a really long time. Maybe there are some of us here today that have faced struggles that we've either been born into or that they've been with us so long that they might as well have been. Maybe we're reaching out to God, half expecting to receive something to ease the pain and the struggling because it's all we've ever known and we've never thought to ask for anything else. The reality is that on this day he was to be healed, but there were 40 years or so prior to that, every day, 
when he was not. I think sometimes we can't skirt around the issue that sometimes or maybe a lot of the time in our experience when we pray for people that they are not instantly healed as this man was. Nor do we always see the healing this side of heaven. Now faith is important for healing but it's not the only factor. It doesn't even look like this man had faith at all or was expecting anything. Simply just a handout from them. What was more important is the faith of Jesus to do what we could not do ourselves. The reasons that we don't see people healed are many and they're varied. And when we don't see the healing, the truth is, it's painful. It's real. And it's current. Sometimes the truth is that we feel that we have been abandoned, that we feel like we've been rejected, that we feel like we've been forsaken. And so we sit in this tension of the reality of what we see, but also of what we know to be true about God and the power of his spirit and what we can see with eyes of faith. There's some things that we just don't understand about healing. It might be that Jesus himself has walked past this man previously who'd been taken there every day. Why was it that he hadn't been healed before? What was it about today that meant that this encounter between him and the disciples took place? If we understand scripture based on our own experience, then where is the more for us to long for? Now, even in the midst of this tension, I wonder if God would invite us today to raise our expectations once again of what he can do for us. Like that little lady with her teacup. We bring whatever faith we have. To remind ourselves of God's heart towards us and to ask him to do the impossible again. In the midst of doubt and questions, to lean into all we know to be true about God and who he is, this man would never have imagined what was to happen to him. Honestly, there are times when I have prayed for people and I've been almost fearful of praying for a situation that humanly seems irreversible, that it's impossible to do anything about. Maybe we could take a minute to think for ourselves. What do we need? Jesus is standing before us. What are we asking him for? Or maybe more relevantly, what are we not asking him for? What have we long given up hope for? The third encouragement that I want to bring to us is to give what we have. I'm not sure if in the story when you read it you naturally find yourself thinking about the, the lame man or the apostles, but we, we've spoken a bit about the lame man. I want to think for a second about the apostles, Peter and John. They were only able to give out of what they actually had. And what they had was no small thing. I'm not sure if they actually didn't have silver or gold, like, but like we said before, it was a choice not to meet just his superficial needs. God has given us so much. Even within our own congregation, I'm aware that we have so many amazing gifts and talents and so much to give. But the greatest gift that we can offer of any worth is that which is given in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. 
Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 2, speaking about the disciples, Jesus says he gave them, it says that Jesus gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to heal sicknesses. Then he sent them out to preach about God's kingdom and heal those who were sick. They had the power and authority of Jesus' name and in his name alone. The truth is, if we are not clothed with power from on high, then we have nothing to offer except that which will leave people wanting day after day. And I mean that as no condemnation, but we cannot give out of what we do not have. Medieval theologian and philosopher Thomas Aquinas tells a story about one, one time when he happened to call upon Pope Innocent II at the time while he was counting a large sum of money. You see, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. True, Holy Father, replied Thomas, and neither can she now say, arise and walk. I wonder if we have lost that power of the Holy Spirit and the authority in Jesus' name. After Peter has spoken the word to this man to walk, or in a, in a fuller translation, to rise up and walk, such is his faith and expectation in the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus that he's going to be healed, that he reaches out his hand to help him. The power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. God calls us into a partnership with him to be his hands and his feet. You might think, well, God doesn't need me. God can't do anything, God can't do anything uh, through me. He needs us to know how much we need him before he will do stuff through us. This man has, who has never been able to walk jumped to his feet and begins to walk. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. How do we know when we're working in the power of the Spirit? Power and ministry in the Spirit in the name of Jesus should always be for the glory of God, not for our own glory or our own egos. Our ministry should lead people to praise God and not us. If Peter later testifies when the when, the crowd, when he asks the crowds why they're surprised by what they see, as if it had been them in their own strength that had done this. Healing should not be a surprise to them because it doesn't come from them. We have to know how much it's not about us for the spirit to flow through us. That same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is living in us. And the fourth encouragement that I want to give us is that this is a picture of holistic healing. God's desire for us is to be made whole. The healing that the man received was not just physical healing, but a picture of holistic healing. And although I want to encourage us to raise our expectations for miracles and for physical healings, I also want to say that that's not all God wants to do in us. After the man stood up, he went with Peter and John into the temple courts. When God does something so incredible in our lives, sometimes we have no frame of reference for the way forward. Peter and John journeyed with them into this new way of life. Now, because of his disability, it's likely that he's never been allowed inside the temple before. Not only was this man physically disabled, but he also carried a shame with him, knowing that he could never be fully accepted. He was forever an outcast until this moment when he walks with the disciples into the temple courts fully accepted, where he had previously had no place. 
We see even this small detail of Peter extending his right hand, a right hand of fellowship, of equality, signifying the way that he had been accepted. And I believe and I know that this is God's heart and desire for all his children, that we would receive that peace and shalom of God. That we would be set free from a life of shame and of sin. And that we would be set free and know that it is available to all those who have faith in Jesus. Bruce Milne says, salvation modeled in the healed man Lifelong limitation and, ex- and its accompanying exclusion from God's presence is now gloriously banished forever. God sees us in our desperate state. He sees the things in our lives that cannot be changed by our own efforts. He sees how long we suffered, often because of circumstances that have nothing to do with us or are completely out with our control. He sees the ways in which we've been rejected, abandoned, where we've lived on life on the margins, where we've not been accepted. But God has not remained silent. He's not been inactive. It's because he sees us that in his love and compassion for his children, that he was moved to send his son Jesus to live on the earth, to experience all that we have experienced and to take it upon himself as he went to the cross. All that we do so much to avoid and to make it better, to make better, he willingly entered into to bear it so that we wouldn't have to. All of our sin and all of our suffering, he took upon himself. Romans uh, chapter 6 verse 4 reminds us that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I believe that God wants to do something unexpected in our life. To do even more than we could ever ask or imagine. His call to us, and I pray this over you, is to rise up. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, to rise up and walk. Like this man was accepted into the temple, so we too have been fully accepted because of the cross for the praise and the glory of God. This message that we get to preach that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose from the dead, he also wants to call all of his children to arise to stand up, to be called into a life that lives in the fullness of all that Jesus paid for. We don't have to do anything to be accepted. Jesus has already done it for us. I'm going to ask the the bands to come up and we're going to sing a song and I want us to take some time to remind ourselves of who God is. That it's the same God that we worship, the same God that's in the Old Testament, the same God who parted the oceans, the same God who's faithful and whose love endures through generations. To remind ourselves of what has already been done in Jesus, 
to remind ourselves that by this same spirit, by the same God, his spirit moves among us and is present with us and in us now. He freed captives then and he wants to do the same for us. He healed then and he wants to heal us now. The power that was in the first disciples, God's mission, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same mission that we find ourselves in today. It's the same mission that Paul has later on in the chapter, in, in Acts. It's the same mission that Jesus had, and it's our mission. And as we, after we, we sing, we are going to have a team that are available for um, for prayer this morning, just so, as I said, over to my right-hand side. And you're welcome to come forward and receive prayer, whether that's prayer for physical healing or emotional healing, or simply for a fresh touch and a filling of the Holy Spirit. And if maybe during this song, you want to simply come forward and sing in faith and express how much you need him, please feel free to do so.